0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, get them open to Mark chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible with you, there's a black one in the seatbacks in front of you. Get to page 890. You're going to be right there with us. We're going to be Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 21 through 25. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome you and also uh, point your attention. If you grabbed a bullet this morning next to it, would, uh, ha- we had something there called our March Prayer Guide. Those are things that we are producing on our family meal nights. So on the second Wednesday of the month, uh, we have, we're having an all-church meal, and everybody's welcome and then we have a prayer time afterwards that... We like handing you three bullet points uh, to add to your quiet time for the month and, and join us, join together with the rest of the church and praying for. Uh, and so if you were here last Wednesday, you had a great meal and then uh, you heard from one of our local missions partners, uh, Wabash Valley Adult and Teen Challenge. And that's, that's our prayer focus for the month. We're praying for uh, InterVarsity, for Baptist Collegiate Minis- uh, Mish- Ministries, and for Wabash Valley Adult and Teen Challenge because uh, we support missionaries all over the world uh, because Jesus says uh, to make disciples. All the world but he started he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and so Jerusalem is our Jerusalem is Terre Haute. and so uh, we support these uh, these missions partners. Uh, we do a lot with them, we try to support them in, any, in more ways than just financial, and one of those ways is available to you now just to pray for them and want to I want to encourage you to do that and then last, I want to update you on kind of where we stand with Honduras, uh, because a lot of you prayed for that trip. Uh, you were excited uh, that it was happening, and, uh, and all of us who went are thankful for your prayers. Uh, We saw, uh, visited uh, three different villages. Um, And the goal was to uh, find uh, a village for us to support in partnership with World Gospel Church. And uh, what we've done is we've been able to narrow it down to two. Okay, Um, and the reason we don't have one chosen yet is because as our guide Rolando said, he's like, you're basically speed dating, right? We go, we drive to the village, we spend about five to six hours there and then we leave and we have to make a choice like who are we gonna link up with and kind of enter a marriage into. And so uh, there's more information that we need to get um, to to make a good, wise decision. And so we've got some uh, Zoom meetings scheduled to meet with some pastors that we didn't get to meet with and uh, hopefully some other community leaders and some other reports coming in. And so as we know, Know what village uh, we're going to partner up with. That's when you'll start hearing more. Okay, uh, we didn't just like come back and be like, "Well, we're not going to do anything." You know, so um, that process is still going on, and uh, we'll keep you updated as we as we have the information. So, again, grateful for your prayers for that. And now I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we turn our attention to Mark chapter four. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are so thankful uh, for each and every person who's here. We're grateful for the chance we've already had to, to worship you. And uh, uh, what a powerful set that was, Lord. And I pray that it, it, it really did uh, to prepare our hearts for your word this morning. And as we turn our attention to it, Lord, we, we pray that you would be the one who speaks the loudest and the most clearest. God, push me, uh, push distractions of life, push everything out of the way, um, Lord, and prepare us to be a good soil this morning, to be good hearers and welcomers and receivers of your truth. and We ask you to get the glory from all this, and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just mentioned to you that that we had a good trip to Honduras, but but I'm going to tell you, it did not start well. Right. Uh, It started at 2:30 a.m., which we met to go to the airport, and it was a long day of travel, multiple flights. The last flight was delayed, and and then if you know airline, if you've traveled uh, with airlines, you know the best delay is once you're on the plane, right? Once you're packed in, and then you just sit in the taxi on the runway forever. That was the kind of delay we had, and then we finally took off and got into Honduras, and and our guide said, "Well, you're later than you're supposed to be, so there's no time to eat." And so what what they said, is, we're we're all going to pile in these two trucks." And I mean pile in. You couldn't have possibly fit one more human in there. Um, and then they just threw bunches of the boxes of dominoes in and said, eat this and we're going to go. And so we're sitting shoulder to shoulder and like shoving pizza in our mouth like we haven't eaten in a while because we hadn't. And we were told that the trip would take about three, three and a half hours. <laughs> And that's the first time that I learned that Hondurans have no semblance of time whatsoever because it took more than six hours, okay? And, and there was about an hour in, I, I turned over my shoulder and looked back at, at Seth Wyrem, and uh, he didn't look sick. He looked like he died two weeks before, right? Uh, he, he was as pale as I've ever seen someone, sweat was just pouring all over him. So I just kind of told the driver, hey, you, we might need to pull over, you know? Uh, so we pulled over and got him some fresh air. And at this point I was like, I'm gonna, I, I need to do something uh, that that would be you know Jesus we proud of. I was like, Seth, I've never gotten car sick in my entire life, so why don't you switch me, right? Take the take the front seat, you can see where we're going, you can see the turns ahead of time. And I I scrunched back in the back seat where he was at, feeling really good about my decision until about an hour later and I was like, what did Seth do to the seat? Because now my head was spinning and my stomach was churning, and I'm gonna spare you the details. I'm just gonna tell you, it got bad. Like real bad, like violent bad, right? And there were multiple, multiple stops with, we'll just call them clearances, okay? Multiple clearances, and finally, mercifully, more than six hours in, we came to a stop and I could get out of the vehicle. And the first thing I hear is, I hope you're hungry, because we prepared a barbecue for you. I wasn't hungry. I didn't want to see food again the rest of my life, right? And, uh, but the one thing uh, that we learned quickly is when, when uh, Honduran people make you food, they will stand there and stare at you and watch you eat it. Uh, and it's offensive if you don't. And so now I'm like, oh my, I have to, I have to eat it because the lady that cooked it is just staring right at me. And the taste was fine, don't, don't get me wrong, but I was not enjoying eating. I didn't want any part of it. And I, but I kept telling myself, you can take another bite because it's over. You made it, you've arrived, it's over. Like, it'll settle down from here. And as I put one more bite in my mouth, questioning every life decision I've made up to this point, I hear our driver say, well, we've got about 15 more minutes to go from here. I've already learned that three hours was six hours, right? So I don't know how long 15 minutes is gonna be. And the dread and panic that washed over me when I realized I've gotta get back in that truck and I've just reloaded the gun, right? Because all of my confidence had been in the fact that I had arrived. The trip was I'd arrived, but the problem was I hadn't. You see, I tell you that story because there's there's actually great danger in thinking that you've arrived somewhere when you haven't. And there's nowhere else this is more true than when it comes to spirituality and faith. There are people in churches who constantly do what, what I call graduate themselves all the time. I've outgrown that, I don't need it anymore. That Bible study, I've, I've done it once before. It's not needed, It's not, not from me. That teacher, they said something once I don't agree with, so I'm beyond them. I can't learn from them anymore. That sermon, I've heard them all. That reading plan, I've already done it. I'm beyond it. Serving the church, I've done that. It's somebody else's turn. You see, I'm informed. I progressed. You can't surprise me anymore. You can't teach me anything new. And so for whatever reason, they'll, they'll still come and be a part, but their posture always ends up being one of two things. But the first posture is they, they view everything through a lens of whether or not they approve it. If everything that happens, everything that's said, lines up pers- perfectly with their personal convictions, then they'll decree that that had value. But the problem with that posture is they're not actually, that posture is they're not actually trying to learn. They're not measuring themselves to God's word. They're seeing if the church experience measures up to them. But the second posture is this. They've just checked out. I mean, they might be physically present, but they're thinking about anything else or scrolling on the phone during the service because they think they need the rhythm of church attendance, but they're beyond whatever truth is presented. And that's just in worship services. The feeling that you've arrived greatly impacts your quiet times or lack thereof. It greatly impacts your interactions with others. It greatly impacts your view of grace, and it greatly impacts the compassion you have for sinners. And what's on top of that, this outlook puts you at a tremendous risk for self-inflicted pain. Well, today in Mark 4, we're going to continue on in a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And in it, he's going to warn them against ever feeling like they've arrived. He's going to paint a picture for them of how his truths are to be pursued always precisely because we're not there yet. Because we're not there yet. And someone invite Travis Beckner up to read for us Mark chapter four verses twenty-one through twenty-five. And if you're physically capable, would you please stand with him to honor the reading of God's word this morning? Morning, church. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Thank you, Travis. You guys have a seat. It's really good, Travis, especially considering that's the first time you've ever read the Bible. So... (laughs) Keep your Bibles open there to Mark chapter 4. He's like, I finally signed up to be a scripture reader. It makes fun of me the first time, right? Keep them open to Mark chapter 4. As always, if we have any supporting verses, we'll put them on the screens, right? Uh, now, to help you understand what Jesus is saying, this passage Travis just read for us, right? We, we need to look back. And the reason why I say that is verse 21 in the scripture, in my Bible, starts with this. It says, he also said to them, right? That language tells you what? That this is a continuing conversation. Right? So if he also said to them, there's something else he previously said to them that, that relates to this perfectly. And So I want to take a, just a few moments to recap for you uh, the parable of the sower, which is what, what this whole chapter is kind of hinged on this point. Jesus tells it, then his disciples ask about it, and then he explains it, and then we get to this conversation. And So it's hugely important for context. And if you weren't here the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Adam gave two different two sermons back-to-back on that parable, and they were magnificent. Uh, I would strongly recommend them to anybody who hasn't listened to them. Uh, it would help you understand that parable much better. But in the parable, right, it, it's, a, it's the parable about a farmer that goes out and sows seed. And, and Jesus, uh, the seed represents the truth that Jesus is teaching in this context. And in our uh, context, it's the timeless, eternal word of God, right? And so uh, as the seeds of the word are sown, there, there are four different types of human hearts that receive it. And the, the first is a heart that, that is represented by tr- hard trampled ground. And so this is really pressed down ground. It's, it's a really kind of a hard heart that, that the truth cannot penetrate and the enemy comes and snatches it before that happened. A second type of human heart is, is one that's on rocky ground where, where truth is received immediately, but there's, there's really no depth to it. And so the first sign of persecution or hardship, it, it, it's moved on from and cast off. And the third uh, is seed that's sown among thorns, right? This is, this is a heart that receives truth, right, that, 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 uh, that believes it, and it, maybe the truth even starts to germinate and grow in their life, but it's constantly getting choked out by thorns. And Jesus defines for us what thorns are. He says the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this life and, and all these lesser things that are less important, but they choke out what God's truth can do in your heart. And it also reduces the fruit getting produced to very little if none at all. And then the last one is the one we all hope and aim to be is the heart that is good soil. That it receives the truth, it believes the truth, it, it welcomes it in life, that life is then transformed and fruit is produced and multiplied. And Jesus defines it, right, in, in verse 8 and verse 20 as 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown in it. And so there's a couple things I want to just make sure we recall from that parable before we head to this parable of the lamp he teaches today is is number one, that Jesus told parables in part to reveal the hearts of his listeners. The reason he taught in parables is because those who wanted to stay shallow and those who wanted to stay at their level of ignorance could. They could just hear the story and kind of move on. But for those who wanted to go deeper, they could. That's the brilliance of the parables. And secondly, what he's been teaching all chapter long is that you cannot hear truth and remain unchanged. What will happen is this. You either become more hardened to it, more skeptical of it, more deaf to it, or more softened and open to it. But the option that we don't have is to be unchanged by it. This is why some of the most impenetrable hearts are in the church. Right, because they, they hear truth most often. They have this, ch- this choice to make almost weekly, right? That, but to, that they've, learned not to hear, they've learned to hear truth and not respond to it, and so their hearts have become callous to it. But today, Jesus gives us the antidote to that. And he moves from a parable about a seed to one about a lamp. So look at verse 21 again. He says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. So the first thing that Jesus is saying here is that truth is illuminating. Okay, he asks a logical question in this parable. He says, do you, do you light a lamp and then put it under a basket? Or do you light a lamp and put it under a bag? No, of course you don't. You wouldn't hide it. Because the reason that you light a lamp is you want it to provide light for a room. Now, a lamp in Jesus' day was was uh, was this wick that was laid into a shallow bowl that was that was filled with oil, and the oil would soak the wick, and it would actually the what 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 the flames would do would actually burn through the oil, and so Jesus is making an obvious statement here. He says the reason that people have lamps, and this we don't need to get more complicated than this, the reason people have lamps is to illuminate something that was in darkness. That's why they use them. Which leads to verse 22 when he says, there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. There's nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. Again, he's talking about him and his truth there. Here's how he puts it in John 8. Jesus spoke to them again. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I want you to understand what he's saying there. In claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus Christ is claiming to be the exclusive source of spiritual light. He's saying there's no other source of spiritual truth that is available to mankind. That Jesus Christ is the foundation and source of truth. It's why he calls himself the truth in John 14. There's nothing that's truly true that does not recognize him as the source of it. And what Jesus is claiming here in Mark 4 is that that his word and his teachings, they illuminate that which is dark. And so where it is that we are confused, where it is that we're blinded by sin, where it is that we're ignorant, where it is that we're uncertain, he comes in with his light and dispels the darkness. Now, I, I want you to grasp the deeply personal implications of this. Because what this means is that Jesus' teachings and the word of God, if we pay attention, will always reveal to us something about ourselves. The Bible is God revealing himself to mankind. But when we pour over this word, it also reveals to us stuff about ourselves. Because the Bible is the only book that reads you while you read it. And James 1 James puts it this way. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. The implication of that passage is is simple but powerful. He's saying that God's truth, when, when looked at correctly, acts like a mirror. They show me sinful characteristics that maybe I wasn't even aware of in my life. They show me the gaps between who I am and who Jesus is. They show me who God is and what he values. And then I, and that lets me compare that to who I am and what I value. And to see all that and be unchanged by that is like someone looking in a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what they saw. And all of Mark 4, Jesus has been doing this. He, he has been sharing his light and sharing his truth with the crowds and the Pharisees and his disciples. But there's been a question that's been hanging over the entire chapter. And the question is, how are people receiving that truth? And for the second time in the chapter, Jesus adds in this detail. He says the truth that is properly received is always multiplied. I mean, a good seed produces 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown. Now in this one, he says, a lit candle is meant to illuminate more than just a candle. See, whenever Jesus' truth illuminates my heart and changes my life, that is not designed to be kept just to me. That light is not to be hid under a bowl or under a bed. It is to go out from me and shared by me so that others may come to the light. Adam, last week, put it brilliantly. He said, our job with truth is simple. We are to welcome it and share it. Jesus is saying here in Mark 4, if you truly welcome my truth, you will share it. They go together. Secondly, truth is meant to be transformative. Okay, I want to take you on a a journey through chapter 4 here and see if you can pick up on a theme. Look with me at verse 3. The CSB starts, the very first word is the word listen with an exclamation point. Okay, verse 9. Then Jesus said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Now, down in verse 23 in our passage today, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Then verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Do you see what Jesus is doing over and over and over again in this chapter? He's talking to people who are already listening to him, and he's telling them to listen. All right, if you're a parent, I'm sure you've used this strategy, right? But the invitation here is what? It's just something deeper than just hearing. Twice he uses this phrase, if anybody has ears to hear, then listen. Then he tells his disciples, you need to pay close attention to what it is you hear. He's becoming quite apparent that it matters to Jesus what our attitude and receptiveness towards his truth is. Because he knows, right? He knows more than anybody how valuable his truth is. He knows that it can save our souls and transform our hearts and impact our lives. And so it matters to him how we approach it. Now look at chapter 1, verse 4. It tells us this detail. (laughs) Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea and the shore. So, what you need to understand is Mark sets the scene at the start of his chapter that there's an entire crowd of people here, so big that Jesus has to create like an amphitheater. He has to go out on the water, on a boat, and teach this crowd that's lying on the shore. And that many people all listen to this parable of the sower. But what detail do we see in verse 10? Verse 10 says, When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. So there's an entire crowd that listens to the parable, but there's only one group who asked follow-up questions. Only disciples and those with them who wanted to understand better and more deeply. In that entire crowd that was there, there was only a small subset that was actually in pursuit of the truth that Jesus was offering. And what that means is this, that just showing up isn't enough. Being a part of the crowd, being in the seat does not prove a humble, hungry, and healthy pursuit of God's truth. You all came to church today on a day that you got one less hour of sleep. It's a great choice. You've already made one good choice today. Feel good about it, right? I'm grateful you're here. But listen, being in the audience of truth today does not mean you're pursuing it. You all hear truth. Some Some of you are here weekly. Some of you hear truth multiple times a week you're part of a group you listen uh, to other podcasts you do other bible studies you you just you're ingesting all the time but the question is that Mark 4 is asking is this do you really hear it are you actually receiving it does it go through your ears and into your mind and then down into your heart and into your soul and then play out in your actions and the way you live does it change you does it change the way you respond and react and what you pursue I was talking to a friend last week. He was telling me about a, a difficult time in his life. It was, it was back in 2018, so five years ago now, and he was facing this really tough situation at work where he had a superior that was treating him uh, incredibly unfairly, and he wasn't secret about it. He was doing it openly for all the others to see. And he was really wrestling about how to respond to this. He was getting very angry, and he went to church one Sunday with his family. They were living in Michigan at the time, and he heard truth. He heard truth. The sermon was about how you can't control what others do, but you can control your response and attitude, how you can model Christ likeness and humility, even when others are, and trust God even when others aren't treating you fairly. And he held up his phone and showed me that he still has the sermon notes in his phone, and he still reads them about once a week. And he would read them before he would go into work, and how it changed his entire outlook and attitude while he was there. And my question is when's the last time a truth from God's word impacted you at that level? When's the last time you heard a truth and you felt conviction and you repented and were washed anew in the grace of Jesus Christ and sought transformation? Are you still intellectually curious to learn from Christ? Are you still anticipatory about hearing his word? Hebrews 4 says this, that the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you approach it that way? When you sit through a sermon or study or take part in a group, or you listen to a podcast or do your own quiet time reading, do you get to the point ever where you ask questions like, what does this teach me about my heart? Lord, what is it you're telling me that, you, that I need to repent of? What is it that, that I need to apply to become more like Jesus? How can I become a better representative of his grace and truth? It's so easy to study this word, this word at an intellectual level and leave it at that. But the transfer of information does not lead to transformation. It's got to go deeper. Lastly, handling truth well opens you up to more. Look how Jesus continues in verse 24. He says, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. Now, again, to understand what he's saying here, you've got to think through the context of this chapter. Jesus taught this massive crowd in parables, giving them the opportunity to absorb as much truth as they wanted to absorb. The only limit was them. It's why he said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen, right? Then his disciples uh, follow up with him and ask deeper questions for further understanding. And as Jesus is explaining his teachings and explaining to them why he uses his strategy in using parables, he demonstrates to them that a person's spiritual knowledge is based on their willingness to receive and be shaped by truth. He says, the measure that you use will be measured back to you and even more will be added. Please do not miss that language. The measure that you use, not the measure that you learn, not the measure that you study, the measure you use will be measured back to you. Jesus is making this claim. He said, if you pursue depth in your walk and relationship with me, right? You, You take one of his truths and you learn it and you receive it and you process it and you apply it to your life and you talk about it and share it with others. If you pursue that level of depth, he will give you breadth. All scripture verifies and lifts up and supports all of the scripture. But if you pursue breadth without depth, that it's just information, it's just, it's not meditated on, it's not transformative, it's not applied, then you'll get breadth, but you won't get any depth. And he makes this really scary claim in verse 25. He says, whoever has more, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Again, the context is key here. Think through the whole chapter. Jesus is saying those who do not pursue death, those who do not pursue transformation, those for whom truth isn't impactful at the heart and soul level, those who've given their lives to thorns, those who are hearers of the word and not doers of the word, those who think they've arrived and they don't need truth anymore at that level, well, Jesus is saying they don't actually stay where they are. They will lose even what little they had. Because spiritual truth starts with intellectual, but it's more than just intellectual. It goes and involves the heart. And a heart posture that isn't open to truth will always lead to more darkness. It's a lot like learning a foreign language. This past fall, I knew that I had an admission trip to Germany, and so I thought, I'm going to be prepared this time. So I bought a subscription on an app on my phone to learn German. And and for six months, I studied it daily. I took quizzes. I I, I listened to German. I learned phrases. I said them out loud to the phone. And I landed in Germany feeling pretty confident that I was going to be able to have some conversations with people. And two things happened. Number one, I immediately panicked and forgot all of it. Right? And then number two, almost everywhere I went, people were able to speak English. And so I didn't have to put it into practice. And today, just a few months later, I don't remember a bit of it. Two weeks ago, I went to Honduras, and with that background, I made absolutely no effort to learn Spanish at all, because I didn't trust myself. But not a single person there spoke English. And so I was immersed in a culture that spoke only Spanish. Spanish, And so I had to ask a whole lot of questions. I had to pursue the language. I Just to function, just to go get a bottle of water at a store, I had to know like, how to ask for things without an interpreter. And by the end of six days, I knew far more Spanish than I learned in six months of studying German on my phone. And the reason why is because I was immersed in it. I was pursuing it, and I was desperate to learn it. I had to learn it. And Jesus is saying the same thing here about spiritual truth, that when we pursue it, when we're desperate for it, when we apply it to our lives and share it with others, we, we will grow in our faith and knowledge because he adds it back to us. But if we ignore it, or don't think we need it, well, then the scary thing is even what we have will be taken from us. Now, I want to be very clear in how I call you to respond today. Because for the vast majority of my life, I probably would have given you a wrong application to this sermon. It, w- it probably would have been guilt-ridden, Possibly, it would, it would definitely have been burdensome, and it would have just been a lot, a, a lot more lot more. Do more, read more, study more, right? You just gotta do all that. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that today for a couple of reasons. Number one is this, that God's truths and his commands and his words are not burdensome. They're life-giving, they're freeing, they're active, they're joyous. But secondly and most importantly is I've got to be faithful to the passage, and, and, and more is not what Jesus is getting at here. The tension that Mark 4 leaves us in is not about activity or amount. It's about attitude and approach. Jesus isn't speaking about how much you learn per se. He's speaking about how much you learn changes you. And so how do we respond to what Christ is teaching here? The first one might, might be hurtful, but I'm going to say it anyways, and is this. Just stop assuming you're good soil. I told you at the start, the most dangerous posture that we can take as Christians is acting like we've arrived. Because this posture elevates ourselves. It places us above a humble response to what God might say and even who he might say it through at times. And we have this way of assuming things about ourselves that just might not be true. For instance, if we're a Christian and we attend church, and we avoid too much cussing or drinking or have Christian gear and mugs, then I'm one of the good ones. I'm good soil, right? I'm the lamp that's lighting up the room. But did you see the standard that Jesus set for good soil? Look at verse 20. He said, those like seed sown on, the ground, on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. You see, being Good soil has nothing to do with pew sitting or church attendance. It has nothing to do with coming from a Christian family. It has nothing to do with voting conservatively. And it doesn't even have to do with Bible knowledge just in and of itself. Those who are good soil hear and then welcome truth. They know they need it. They're fully aware of their desperate need for the grace of God. They know they haven't arrived and so that truth goes down into their hearts and it bears fruit in their lives. It makes them more like Christ. It brings them freedom from some of their sin struggles. It softens their edges towards others. It softens their responses over time and and that truth changes them in a way that they can share it or model it or invest it into others. You see, when we draw a finish line short of where Jesus draws it, the problem is that we can cross it. And we begin to believe that we've heard it all and seen it all and there's no real spiritual need in our lives anymore and no real desperation for truth and no real need for grace and that's when we're in a posture that makes us unusable by God. Don't assume you're good soil. Measure it up to Jesus standard. Secondly, confess your inconsistency. There's not a one of us that gets this right all the time. Which means that my story has to be like yours. My story is that I've had good seasons and I've had bad ones. I've had seasons where I felt close to the Lord and I've been excited about his truth and on fire for his mission and it just felt easy to come to God's word. I had ears to hear, right? I didn't forget what I saw in the mirror. There was life change there. And then I've had seasons where even picking up this book felt like a struggle much less getting it down into my heart and changing my life. Seasons where I've been distracted by lesser things, by comfort, by sports, by entertainment, especially when life is hard, by hobbies, by health and fitness. Okay, not so much for me on that last one, obviously, right? (laughs) But I vacillated back and forth between these seasons throughout my life where I've had a good season and a bad season just swinging wildly. And what the issue is, is that God's truth was just as available to me and the Holy Spirit was always present in me. It was just me who had changed. So you're in a season right now. And if you can sit there honestly this morning and say, I'm in a good season, then praise God. Ask him to keep you there. But don't ever forget you're capable of inconsistency. Don't ever believe you've arrived. You need grace to keep your pursuit high. Now, if you're in a bad season right now, then just confess it to God. Tell him. He knows. Apologize for being fruitless. And his grace will be as real to you as the day you first believed. Because his death on the cross has already covered you. And he stands at the ready with his light and his truth this morning to come into your darkness. And I'm betting that experiencing his grace at that level will help you renew your zeal. May today be the spark of a new season for you. And then lastly, I feel compelled by the Lord to say this today because of the theme all throughout Mark chapter 4, and it's this. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. I get that phrase from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He writes to the Corinthians church, and he says, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Now, I I need you to know, I do not approach this last subject lightly. The hardest balance for me to walk in preaching is this, that on the one hand, I want you to feel the full confidence in the remarkable riches of God's grace. I want you to know and believe that the death of Jesus really is that powerful and that precious, and if you are his, you're his forever. On the other hand, at the same time, I don't want the proclamation of that truth to deceive people into a false assurance of a salvation they never surrendered to. This entire chapter has been about bearing fruit in response to truth. And we need to be clear, works do not save you. The Bible couldn't be clear in that. Ephesians chapter 2, you are saved by grace, through faith, and not of works so that no one can boast. That ends that discussion. You're saved by grace through faith. But you know what James 2 says? I will show you my faith by my works. We cannot experience the grace of God, receive the truth of Jesus, taste his goodness, and remain unchanged. And bearing fruit as defined by the New Testament is becoming more and more like Jesus over time and sharing his hope and truth with others. And if you take a look at your life this morning and you see no evidence of spiritual growth... There's no passion or energy for God's word or truth. There's no burden in your heart for lost people. There's no excitement or gratitude for your own salvation. There's really not any kind of overcoming of sin or struggle against it. There's no change in your life. Then what I'm telling you is you might have said a prayer of the pastor at a church camp or church service. You might have been baptized at some point. You might have grown up in a Christian home. You might even attend church weekly for who knows what reason. But my gosh, eternity's at the stake. So I have to ask the question. If there's no fruit, why are you so certain there's a root? I don't don't want anyone who is struggling, and hear that word, struggling with or against sin in their life today to doubt their salvation. You cannot out-sin the cross of Jesus. There's nothing that you can do that is more powerful than the Son of God dying for you. But anyone who's not struggling is just totally okay with the sin in your life. You have no pursuit of depth or truth and you're bearing no fruit. I want nothing more than to cause you to doubt your standing with God and to call you to repent and surrender and come to the salvation that Jesus offers. It's Far better for people to look at you weird and be surprised that you had never fully surrendered till now than to be told by Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you then. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His truth will set us free. He's unchanging. He's constant. The variable is us. The variable is how we receive feminist truth. Do you have ears to hear? Let's pray. Father, I'm so incredibly thankful for the truth of Jesus. I'm so incredibly thankful for uh, all that it can do and the power that it holds, that, that, that his words, his truth, God, his Bible can transform lives, can, can, can lead people to salvation, can save souls, God. But the variable is us. The variable is our hearts, openness to receive it. The variable is our ears, willingness to hear it. The variable is our souls, willing to be transformed by it. So, Lord, we need your grace we need your power. We need your work in our lives. And there's anybody here, God, anybody who's not ever fully surrendered to the salvation and grace that is offered through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, it doesn't matter how long they've been in church, it doesn't matter how long they've played the games, they've never fully surrendered, to may today be their day of salvation. And God, for the rest of us, would we take this moment in this service to, to really ask the question, how open am I to truth? How open am I to Jesus' teachings? How open am I to the Spirit's leading? How how do I receive Am I truly good soil? And Lord, any ways that we're not, will we confess those to you, repent of them, and be washed anew by your grace this morning? We pray you do this for our sake and do this for the sake of, of the rooms that we need to light up. Now you do this for the glory of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. So grace is actually going to be playing a song during our response time today, but this, this is your chance uh, to just just pray to God. Just confess to Him your inconsistencies, Confess to Him your lack of pursuit. Confess to Him your lack of depth. Whatever He revealed to you and, and find His grace new for you today. This is your chance to, to respond to whatever He's put in your heart this morning. And, and uh, so this is, this is just your time. Please, please do not waste it.